Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, December 19th, 2020, and this is the weekly market update. So before I get started in the reality check, um, I don't want to seem like I'm the guy that just constantly complains or gets on here and, and crabs about, you know, the way you know, bad things and everything. But some of this stuff is getting so outrageous now that I have to say something. It's not a political rant, but just talking about the markets and the overvaluation and the bubble that we're in. We are in a full-blown bubble slash mania. Um, and I want to start it with this quote here. You know, I do, I'm not a big fan of central banking, um, the Federal Reserve, all central banks, their issuance of fiat currency, um, their ability just to create money out of nothing. They're just inflation machines. And, you know, I think a consequence of this bubble, this coronavirus, it's going to, I don't know, I can't see across the chasm, but what I do think is from pre from history, and I've, I don't consider myself Mr. Market Historian, but I have been around now for several market cycles and several crashes and bubbles, manias, as I've said before. And I'm trying to tell you how things are. A lot of you guys are young. You have not been in a crash or a bubble, okay, or mania. And these things always end. And they're always caused by the Federal Reserve creating too much liquidity. And it feels good when it's happening. Everybody's making money. Lots of people are on Twitter talking about they're taking the rest of the year off. They're done. This is great. Even the picks in the portfolio, my portfolio, because we've seen this uh, shift to cyclicals now. I think we're just this quarter, we're up like almost 40%. And that's still being dragged by tankers. That's being dragged down by tankers that I have in the portfolio still. But these things end badly, guys, these valuations. But just because things are overvalued, which they are, and I'm going to show you some historical valuations, I don't want you to think that I'm just on here constantly crabbing about this, but this is this really warrants a discussion. And I had such good charts and such good information come in this week, I just felt I needed to share it to you. But let's talk about our friend Jerome Powell, what he said recently. There will come a time when the economy does not require increasing amounts of policy accommodation. And when that time comes, and that will be uncertain, is some ways off. So as you've probably heard me say before, and you've heard the Fed say before, they're not even thinking of thinking of raising rates. And so they're out doing $120 billion a month in bond buys, mortgage bonds, treasuries. And they're ask, actually hinting and asking, we're not even hinting, they're asking for the Congress to create, do more spending and create more debt so they can buy the debt. Because coronavirus, you know, Chinese virus, uh, the virus that we cannot talk about, you know, has, you know, changed everything. That if you get it and you survive, you have a 0.2% chance of dying if you're healthy. We have to change the entire world and create, you know, this big bubble. And um, this is not good. I wanted to talk about what Charlie Munger said, the next point here. Charlie Munger was interviewed this week, I believe. I'll put a link to it. I put a link, try to put links to all this stuff so you guys can go look at it yourself. Take a look at it. Charlie Munger, one of my heroes. You know, everybody poo-poos and calls uh, 
Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, a couple of fossils, but you know, these guys are both billionaires. They've been along around way longer than I have and have seen everything. And I like what he says. We're in very uncharted waters. Nobody has gotten by with the kind of money printing now for a very extended period without some kind of trouble. We're very near the edge of playing with fire. And I, and I agree. Um, another quote here. I think this is from um, Stanley Druckenmiller. I can't remember where I got all these quotes, but I believe this one's from Druckenmiller. If there was ever a Sir John sell when everyone is buying moment. He's talking about Sir John Templeton, very famous investor, another one of my heroes, famous value investor. He's the guy I talked about that during the depression, uh, he took all of his savings and bought like shares of every stock that was selling for a dollar or under on the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, he made a mint when everything recovered. He bought when there was blood in the streets. But um, it's very possible, you know, if there was a time to hedge, it's now down 50 to 60% remains a real risk. And that's what's eventually going to happen when this thing blows up. You know, the valuations are so high now that your risk adjusted returns over the next 10 years are going to be negative. Let me say that again, that's just based on history. We know from these type of over these valuations, that over the next 10 years, you will probably have maybe 1% or average loss every year. And you're going to have a big drawdown in there sometime too. A drawdown mean you're going to have a drop in the market of 40, 50%. And then, you know, that averaged over the 10 years with all the little ups and downs, you're going to have probably no return or slight loss. So why do you want to play that game? It's picking up nickels in front of a steamroller, but it feels good. I told people this, when you have an inflation and you have a bubble, it feels good as long as it's working. You're on a heater. You're at the crap table. All your numbers are coming up. The adrenaline's pumping. The dopamine releases are happening. You can do no wrong. You're a genius, but that's not it. You're just in a bubble and it will end eventually. This is a uh, tweet from Lizanne Saunders this week. Uh, this is, you know, this is all over Twitter. I follow a lot of smart people on Twitter. Here's a something from City Research, Citibank Research. Euphoria now spiking past test tech bubble, tech bust levels and panic your euphoria model. If you go back here to 2000, 1999, 2000, this was the tech bubble. This was the uh, highest uh, euphoria, panic euphoria, uh, outrageous amount of euphoria. What you see here on these, this is the, their model. I don't know how it's constructed. You know, I'm just showing you what uh, is out there. And what you see in these shadows is the subsequent um, 12 month S&P forward return in percent. Okay. So, you know, down 25, down 30, this is all negative. This is like kind of stable in here where you would want this to be. This is under, this is in panic down here. You want to buy in the panic. You see, when you buy at the panics, you have positive returns. Okay. If you buy when there's a lot of euphoria, like in 2000, you have negative returns going forward. Not good. And that's where we're at. And we are at an all-time high here. We are blowing the tech bubble out of the water. Okay? So, like I said, it feels good. You know, Tesla just got put into the S&P. I, I forgot who they kicked out. Uh, Chevron? Exxon? Maybe it was Exxon. I can't remember. So, they're in the S&P now, right? So, 
you know, I, it's mind boggling what's happening and the valuations and it will not continue forever. That's what I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm the town crier. Okay. I am, I am the prophet who will not be heard. And as the Bible says, uh, a town that will not hear your warning prophet, leave and shake the dust off your feet on your way out. Um, some people will be wise and listen and, and, and listen to history. Some people will say they'll, they'll, there's educated, successful people that are justifying these valuations. And I guarantee your retail has no chance. The average investor doesn't have a clue. They just know it feels good. Hey, I'm making money. And they think that they're so smart that they'll get out. I'll top ticket. I'll get out before the bust. I've heard that. I thought that myself in previous busts. You will not. You will get caught. This is uh, from John Malden's Weekly. Uh, he talked about, uh, I think, Doug Cass, somebody, one of his, his elves, one of those people that he interacts with. Um, this is basically S&P valuations. Here's all your model factors. Here's all your factors of valuation. Here's their most recent value. And here's where they hit. Here's their historic percentile. Here's where they're at historically relative to other times. You want to talk median enterprise value to sales? The highest it's ever been. U.S. total market cap to GDP. This is Buffett's favorite indicator. The highest it's ever been. Enterprise value to free cash flow. Highest it's ever been. Price to sales. Highest it's ever been. Price to book. Highest it's ever been. EV to EBITDA. Highest it's ever been. It just goes on. I mean, you've got a few here that I guess aggregate price to book is only 91% of the historical. This is all flashing red. Not good. Does that mean that a crash is imminent? No. Just because something's certain doesn't mean it's imminent. This thing, these bubbles can go even higher. You know, at the top of the Japanese bubble in 89, I think it was a, the PE of the entire stock market was like 100 times earnings. And that thing's been in a bear market for the last 30 years. Am I suggesting that's going to happen here? I don't know what will happen. I'm just telling you from a historical perspective, your odds of this thing going higher. What, what is the justification at this point? You know, the justification I'm hearing is, well, the vaccines now mean that uh, there'll be some, some return to normalcy uh, as we get into the spring and the economy is going to come roaring back. I don't doubt that. That's why I'm invested in commodities. I think there's going to be, you know, tremendous opportunity uh, in commodities, uh, in resources. Because there's a lot of pent-up demand. And there's a lot of currency that's been created. It's been squirreled away. And people want to get out and they want to spend. But isn't that all priced in now? Everybody knows that's going to happen. That's all everybody's talking about. So unless you think this time is different or you have some other model that's going to give us a super growth boom, I don't know how you can buy stocks at these levels. I'm talking about the S&P. I'm talking about the average overvalued stock. There's special situations, right? I mean, resource stocks in the last bust value did exceptionally well as the uh, growth, uh, overpriced growth and the flavor of the month, tech stocks blew up in 2000, valued, or value stocks did good, resource stocks did tremendous. You know, the economy can come roaring back and these, these, the, the market can uh, get hit because what I think is going to happen is you're going to get a big dose of inflation with this and it's going to scare people, okay? I think you're going to see record high number. You're going to see uh, 
you know, all-time highs in oil, copper, all these things. Not in the next six months or a year, but I think it's going to happen in the next several years. There's been tremendous underinvestment in these things. And the demand, it will come back. There is a tremendous amount of, of um, pent-up demand. And tr there's been trillions and trillions of currency units created, and nobody's allowed to spend anything. California's locked down right now. And they're talking about doing another trillion-dollar deal in Washington. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. This is retail. This is what happens in a bubble. You know, I talked about uh, goofball surge, the trader. Uh, I remember from CNBC back in the tech bubble, the guy that was sitting at the bar with the martini and the big stogie, probably in his late 20s, blowing smoke into the camera because he was making so much money from the tech stocks, pets.com, drcoop.com, you know, all that nonsense. And I remember, I'll never forget it when he said that, uh, as I told this story before, but I'll tell it again, because uh, it's appropriate. He was making so much money and they just felt necessary to put him on there because it's a bubble mentality, right? That's what happens. It's just the, the whole thing just takes over, even on CNBC, which is just nothing but uh, nonstop uh, cheerleading anyways. And he blew the smoke into the camera. This is the first time in the history of the world that people of my age have had this kind of money and you better get used to it with a really snide, snotty voice. Well, you know, I don't know where he's at. He's probably, like I said before, back waiting tables at Applebee's or he's, you know, hawking gym memberships at 24 hour fitness. I don't know what he's doing, but he didn't last. And here's a perfect example. Here's Caleb, not a virgin on Twitter. I don't know if this is true or not. If it is, Anything's possible nowadays because people are so goofy and demented and lacking of understanding and wisdom. This is probably true. So he says he's asking Robin Hood uh, help desk. Your app won't let me buy the stocks frozen. Airbnb is down. Fix your shit. So the help desk writes back and says, we'd love to look into this for you. Can you DM us? Caleb writes back. Get a grip. I haven't been able to buy Airbnb or anything all day. I'm done here. And the help desk very patiently writes back, the U.S. stock markets are closed on the weekends. When the markets open on Monday, you'll be able to place trades. I really hope this isn't, I hope this is parody, but it, it probably isn't. It's very possible this could be true. And what I'm getting at is I'm not cutting people down. But what I'm saying is with the advent of Robin Hood, with the advent of zero commission trading, with the advent of being able to do everything on your smartphone, it encourages this bubble, uh, bubblicious tulip mania market, you know, everybody's sitting at home with nothing to do. And, you know, stonks just go up, as Dave Portnoy says. So don't be this guy. Understand history, understand overvaluation. It does matter. And like I said, I, I can't tell you when the market's going to blow up. I can't tell you what the catalyst will be. It's going to happen at some point. It's typically, you know, I, I could see a scenario. I'll throw out a quick scenario could possibly happen. The economy starts roaring back. Oil prices go up. Um, you get a bout of inflation pushing 4 or 5%. Interest rates start going up. Uh, because people will start saying, wait a minute, you know, this is starting to get out of control. This happened once in 2008 and nine when oil 
was $147 a barrel. And even Nancy Pelosi was talking about drilling offshore California. And, you know, they will, the Fed will be forced, forced to reverse course. Now we'll see what they really do, because like I said, they've said that they aren't thinking about thinking about raising rates. If they start, you know, and I think this is going to come back quicker than people think. There is tremendous pent-up demand. And like I said, tremendous liquidity sitting, sitting around. And in that scenario, if rates, you know, go, the tenure goes from one to two or two and a half or 3%, and you're at a four or 5% inflation rate that's uh, happening, and you got negative rates, the Fed's going to be in a real bind because they really can't raise, keep raising rates to, you know, to knock out, to knock out inflation out of the box. You'd be running a negative inflation or negative real rate. And stocks will not like that. They will not like the prospect of rates going higher, inflation going higher, knowing that the Fed has to raise rates and uh, what that does to stocks. So that's a, that's a possibility. Possibility you could get another Enron or some other, you know, when you get into this bubblicious thing and there's so much liquidity and so much money and all these SPACs out there uh, going public and all this nonsense that's going on um, and all these, you know, there's potential for fraud everywhere. And what, you know, another thing that typically happens is you start seeing things blow up with fraud and it just seems to happen all coalesces and it's enough incoming hits to, to uh, call into question the bullish sediment. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just throwing out a scenario of what could happen. I've seen that happen before and uh, it could happen again. So I wanted to talk about uranium and I want to throw out a, uh, possible scenario of what happened last time. Uh, this was, this is why you got to be on Twitter, right? Uh, Trader Ferg, Fergus Cullen put a, uh, I mean, this went way back in the Wayback Machine and pulled out an article from 2005, because one of the things that really exacerbated or really put jet fuel into the tank of the last uranium bull market was the, was the participation of hedge funds and institutional money coming in and speculating and helping to push the uranium price up. And, and uh, that was a big catalyst to push it to its all-time highs. Now, um, is that going to happen again? Well, institutional memory and a thirst for alpha says it's a strong possibility. You know, people, people are looking, these hedge funds are sharks, and they're looking for the next big thing, the next trade. And, you know, you look at a market like uranium, uh, it just sets up perfect for this type of thing. It's very opaque. It's very uh, small. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of capital to move things around, as we saw in the last couple of weeks that we've seen the uranium stocks. You know, I think every uranium stock in the actionable intelligence alert newsletter now is up over 100%. And that's everybody pretty much is in the same boat. But uh, what the volumes I saw, like in Cameco, that's institutional money. I mean, Justin Hune, who's the uranium insider, he's been on our show couple times before. Uh, we talked about this during the last interview. He actually wrote about this in a recent um, blog. Uh, I suggest you follow him, even his free stuff, uh, follow. And he's, you know, he's suggesting that, you know, institutional money's coming into this. I think he was on Palisades Radio. Um, anyways, this has happened before. This is from the article in 2005, prior to the launch of the last uranium bull market when it was getting going. Quote, for the first time, analysts and brokers can recall hedge fund managers are dipping a toe in the uranium market. 
buying the nuclear fuel in the same way they would purchase other commodities such as copper, oil, or soybeans. They had a guy made a comment. They are speculators and they want volatility. And in this market, most people have resisted volatility. And go on to quote a hedge fund manager. I don't know how this worked out for this guy. Maybe I should look him up on LinkedIn or try to hit him up, get him on the show and talk about what, how he played this. But Robert Mitchell, a portfolio manager with Addit Capital in Portland, Oregon, has purchased physical uranium, buying 835,000 pounds of U308 yellow cake and 140,000 kilograms of UF6, the gaseous form of uranium. So like I said, institutional memories there. People that were involved last time, uh, the story starts making its rounds. People start talking about, hey, remember when uh, we did that last time? Or remember uh, my mentor Joe told me uh, what he did and, you know, our funds even bigger. Now you even have more liquidity out there and more funds available. You know, so what do you do? You go in, you get your positions in a lot of these stocks, you load up on options, and then you start chipping away. I mean, the net asset value on yellow cake and UPC, which are holding physical uranium, and we're at tremendous uh, discounts to net asset value, those net asset values have shrunk. Um, I don't know if they've closed all the way, but they're darn close. And that's an indication, you know, once that tightens up, if they go to um, the price goes above net asset value, then those, those funds are in a, in a position where they can issue shares and they can be buyers of uranium. So I think tremendous pressure, like a caldera under the Yellowstone, it's tremendous pressure is building behind this. Uh, market. And like I said, you know, the market is so small, uh, as Doug Casey says, uh, a uranium bull market is like trying to put the contents of Hoover Dam through a drinking straw. Um, I will, I recently had another two hour discussion with Trader Ferg. It was basically a couple of guys talking. I probably talked too much as usual. Uh, but I'm going to be posting that in the next couple of days, once I get a chance to edit it. I'll get that up. And uh, we talked about uranium. We talked about coal. Uh, coal is looking tremendous. But I'm going to have the Trader Ferg interview. This, uh, this uh, piece of history was basically courtesy of his Twitter feed last week. So this is possible. I think this is what's setting up. And, you know, the uranium, the nuclear fuel buyers are going to be forced back to the market. Uh, and I think that uh, anybody that has institutional money can see this. And if you're looking for alpha over the next year or so, hey, this is an easy market to push around. Uh, it's a little hard probably to buy the actual yellow cake, but you can just go in and, you know, who wouldn't want to just go in and buy, you know, and close those net asset value uh, discounts that were on UPC and yellow cake. So there's money coming in and I think that it's going to, uh, it's going to really, uh, this, I think this is, this is the, uh, this is not a false rally. Let's put it that way. All right, guys, uh, that's it for this week of the Actionable Intelligence Alert. Uh, tremendous things are happening in the markets. Uh, our portfolio is really doing nice. The rotation, I believe, that is happening from growth to value is going to be exacerbated over the next year. I believe that the commodity bull market has kicked off. I don't think this is a short-term thing. We're seeing movement across the entire commodity complex, whether it's ags, metals, base metals, gold now, gold Precious metals have went through their correction. They're now rallying again. Um, they, it's tremendous activity. And like I said, there's no 
shortage in sight of central bank liquidity to fuel this thing. As uh, Harris Kupperman said recently on his Twitter feed, it's Project Zimbabwe. That's what we have. I'm not shorting this market. I'm not calling the top. What I'm telling you is, is that uh, this thing, bubbles can get more bubblicious. And, but you need to have a plan. You need to be thinking about position size. You need to be thinking about your risk. You need to be thinking about uh, you know, rotation from growth to uh, cyclicals and value. That's my recommendation. Another example of this, Bitcoin whale commits 1 billion to crypto. You know, I was a big critic of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in the last couple of years. I've come around since. I'm not fully convinced this isn't just a bubble or a um, uh, Ponzi, but there's such a scarcity of hard assets. And because of the bubblicious nature of the Federal Reserve and the malfeasance of the federal governments around the world to just create money out of thin air and spend, spend, spend uh, to attack the coronavirus, um, you know, we're going to see currency debasement. We are seeing it. And people are looking for a lifeboat. And a lifeboat is in things that cannot be increased in value or cannot be increased in number. Like, uh, you know, even like I said, the sports card market's going nuts. I, I buy and collect Hall of Fame baseball cards, very high end, uh, slabbed PSA 10 cards, and they've went through the roof. I mean, I've quit buying just because the prices are so high. So everything is going up. It's the everything bubble. It's the crack up boom that Mises talked about. And, uh, you know, this is, this is very dangerous for when it ends. This is all I got to say. But let's talk about Bitcoin a little bit here. Eric Peters, chief executive officer of One River Asset Management, said in an interview he set up a new company to seize on the growing interest in cryptocurrencies among institutional investors. In addition to, his, to its initial purchases, One River Digital Asset Management has com commitments that will bring its holdings of Bitcoin and Ether to about $1 billion as of early 2021. Quote, there is going to be a generational allocation to this new asset class. The flows have only just begun. And uh, I don't know how, how high Bitcoin can go, but I think it's going a lot higher. Do I think that there's a utility use for it? Do I think that uh, it's not an issue? You know, I listened to a recent interview, uh, Kyle Bass on Macro Voices, and, you know, he's he made a good case. You know, governments are going to constrain this. They have many ways to do that. They don't have to outright ban it. Um, you're seeing already this year, I think, on your tax return, you're going to be asked if you own any cryptocurrencies, you're going to have to check the box, and you're going to have to disclose whether or not you had any capital gains. You're not going to be able to hide in the shadows anymore. And that's one way to put tethers on it. You know, they could put uh, higher wealth taxes on it, reporting requirements on this. Um, that's one way to deal with this. There's this idea in the crypto world that you can just you know, um, well, they can't track it, they can't, you know, do anything, you know, this type of money getting into it, institutional money is not going to be, you know, skulking around in the, in the shadows, they're going to want to be above board with full custodial, um, you know, stewardship, so that this is all above board, and they're going to drag it into that kicking and screaming. And so all the little retail guys are going to be dragged into it, too. And uh, that's one way to constrain it. I mean, governments are not incentivized to allow, you know, this to really catch on. 
the problem is the longer that they allow it to go without trying to regulate or trying to chain it down like Gulliver in, the, in Gulliver's travels, trying to tie it down somehow, the, more, the harder it's going to be to do it when they eventually do do it. But that's down the road. This, this is reaping the benefits of, like I said, the bubblicious conditions we're in and the malfeasance of the central bank. Peters, 54, was drawn to digital assets for the same reason he anticipates more volatility in financial markets. Now that interest rates in the developed world are at or below zero, physical spending by governments combined with debt monetization by central banks has emerged as the primary way to spur growth. The consequence of that increase in the money supply, he thinks, will be currency debasement and potentially inflation. Boom. That's what we've been talking about. You can't increase the supply of Bitcoin. There's only so many that are going to be made. Many of them have been lost. It has, it's perceived as a store of value. Okay, whether or not it's a Ponzi, whether or not it's getting caught up in the bubble is beside the point. A 1% allocation, I don't want to be on the sidelines if this thing goes to five, you know, 250,000 or a million dollars. But then again, I'm not going to put in my 100% of my wealth into it either. A 1% allocation gives me a taste. So that's me. Um, but like I said, this is the same thing of why people buy gold. You can't, you can increase the money supply. I think I read somewhere this week that 30% of the amount of total dollars that have ever been created have been created in the last 10 months. Well, you can't increase the gold supply that quickly. You cannot increase soybeans supply that quickly. You cannot increase the oil supply that quickly. That's why you get these rallies in these commodities. And, you know, we've also had the supply shock to add on to it because of COVID. You know, there's, you know, the Cigar Lake mine in Saskatchewan has been closed down again by Cameco because of co more COVID outbreaks up there. And I don't know when they're going to restart it. So that's what you're seeing all over the place. Not only that, the years of underinvestment before we even had COVID are now all these chickens have the potential to come home to roost. And it all is being fueled, the rocket fuel that will really exacerbate these moves is, of course, as Mr. Peters says, the government's uh, physical spending combined with debt monetization uh, will be a currency debasement and potentially inflation. So that's where we're at also, and we've been talking about for the last year. So uh, that's it for this week, guys. I appreciate it. I uh, hope you got something out of this video. Thank you for the channel. The channel's growing again. Our subscriber count's going up. Please consider taking a subscription to the Actionable Intelligence, Intelligence Alert newsletter, $150 per year. Uh, check out the comment section below. A subscription link is there. Like I said, we're doing pretty good this quarter. I don't like to toot my horn like that because it's just, you know, it was inevitable that was going to happen. I want to see, can we have maintain our, you know, our performance was terrible you know, the last year up until the last two quarters. But like I said, like I had said in the newsletter, like I've been saying on these videos, our time was going to come. Growth was going to rotate to value. And that's where resource and commodities are right now. They are the tremendous value. And I think they're going to continue. It's not going to be a one or two or three month rotation. This is going, in my view, going to be a multi-year uh, bull market. There will be pullbacks. 
You know, copper's almost doubled off the March lows. It's pushing 360, I think, 360 a pound. Could easily pull back 25%. Oil now, WTI's getting ready to crack 50. Brent's over 50. Oil's going a lot higher. Can you imagine all the people that want to take trips after this COVID thing loosens up? And every day that goes by, more people are getting vaccinated. The end is coming. Plus, the flu and cold season's rolling over. This thing is going to be old news in six months. In the economy, I, we're going to get a tremendous push out of this thing. So that's my view. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.